You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. though and plays it into the far corner where it's picked up and throwing down the ice it's bouncing towards the net and it goes in guess who i can guess nikita zadorov with a shot from about 180 feet that bounces into the flames net and with one minute and 20 seconds remaining in regulation time the canucks take a four to two lead okay so it wasn't actually nikita zadorov who got the empty netter and eventual game-winning goal against the Calgary Flames on Saturday night. It was Elias Pettersson who tipped the puck in, but still it all signaled the same thing, the end of a winning streak for the Calgary Flames and a loss to their divisional rivals, the Vancouver Canucks, as we did get our first look at Nikita Zadorov in Canucks blue. Now the Flames focus in on the back half of this homestand starting with a game against Minnesota. Welcome into Sportsnet today. We are live here on Sportsnet 960. The fan coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. We will start the conversation off. Today, heading to the Scotiabank Sandal and checking in on the Calgary Flames as they get set for game four of this six-game homestand. Some potential bad news in net for the Calgary Flames with Jacob Markstrom. We'll get to that in just a few moments. But also, on this Monday edition of the program, Emily Sadler will join us. NFL Week 13 comes to an end tonight. It's the Bengals and the Jaguars. We'll run through the Sunday slate of games with Emily, as we always do. Her work up at sportsnet.ca. And the NLL regular season underway. A loss to start the season for the Calgary Roughnecks. We'll check in with head coach Josh Sanderson in hour number two. And a quick reminder, the fan feedback line is always open to you here on the program. Shoot us a text if you're listening live at 960-960. My outstanding producers on this Monday afternoon are Cam and Taylor. But yes, we do start off today's show with some potential bad news for the Calgary Flames. Practice on Monday should have been mainly focused on the team preparing for their next opponent, the Minnesota Wild. But unfortunately, Jacob Markstrom's sudden disappearance at practice is the storyline. Looks like he took a puck off the inside of his right hand, which would be his blocker hand. And right where there's no padding, he immediately left the ice with the training staff, did not return to practice, and we did not get an update from head coach Ryan Huska following the skate today, other than that he was going to be evaluated and they had no further update. So... Never a good thing to see a goaltender, A, take a puck where he did, 
and B, not return to practice. And, of course, now we await further word. Of course, good news is there just so happens to be a NHL-ready goaltender at the American Hockey League level named Dustin Wolf, who we know uh, has earned NHL time this year. We've seen him in one NHL start already, so I imagine he would be at the ready should Jacob Markstrom not be able to go but still a concern of the Flames' number one goaltender who has played very well this season um, could potentially be dealing with an injury. Again, we'll wait to see. Perhaps it's it's nothing. Perhaps it merely stands as he left for evaluation and nothing came of it. But for right now, we don't have an update on Jacob Markstrom after leaving practice on Monday. It was a bit of a different practice as well. Two centers not practicing Elias Lindholm. Missed practice on Monday due to an illness. Michael Backlund got the day off for maintenance. So lots of forward placeholders. The lines would look the same as we've seen them, though. Uh, Sharon Govich back. Uh, Sharon Govich, excuse me, with Lindholm and Manjapani. Of course, Kadri and the kids. Backlund with Coleman and Huberto. Greer, Ruzichka, and Dubé making up your fourth line um, with those forwards out. Dennis Gilbert was actually skating at forward today, so Ilya Solovyov got a turn with Jordan Osterley on that third D pairing, but of course, Jacob Markstrom, the biggest story leaving practice today. Let's check in with the head coach, of course, his thoughts uh, on the loss Saturday to the Canucks, looking forward to the Minnesota Wild, and updating us as best he could on the status of his goaltender who left practice on Monday. Here's head coach Ryan Huska. Okay, so I mean, is there anything you can share with us on Jacob Markstrom? No, he, he's going to get evaluated. Uh, I didn't have a chance to see him or or meet with him before he before I got off the ice, so I I don't have anything further. Yeah. And did you see the play that, that happened? Or? Um, I saw him try to make a save, but from that point, I don't, I didn't really know what what was going on. Yeah. Probably wondering anything until tomorrow at the earliest. It seems. I, yeah, I'm not sure. As I said, he's gone to get looked at, and um, we'll have to go from there. Yep. Coach, what would be the uh, items on the top of your list to clean up from last game's performance? Uh, we talked to. We want to try to get ourselves to the point where we're playing with leads. Like we like the way we're starting games, but we have to play with the lead. And I think it's 10 of 12 where we've given up the first goal in a game, and. Um, we want to flip that script. I think that's one big thing for us. And then I think the other thing is handling pressure and executing under it. That's something with the teams that we're playing here that are coming up. They're all high-pressure teams. They'll make you have to make plays um, with someone in your face. And I don't think in the first period against Vancouver we handled that well, so it's something we'll have to improve on. He just about playing a little bit less later in the game, and he said, "Look, I, I, I wasn't playing very well. I get it. I was back to work. That's that's pretty much the response you want from a guy from that situation." Totally. Like you, he's at the point in his career where he's got to bring people along with him. So he's got to set a standard for how he plays consistently, and he's got an identity to him. Um, when he's at his best, he's 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 a pest. He's hard to play against. He's always on the puck when he's at his very best. So he needs to do that consistently so other guys see him do it now. So he's not the young guy anymore. Uh, Andrew's a guy that has to bring people along with him. I assume that playing like a bit of a pest, I mean, that's, that's a specific mentality that you have to have that, you know, can you manufacture it? I mean, how do you how do you get there, do you think? No, I, I think it's in him. Like, that's why he's had success. Like, all the way along, people have told him, yeah, you, you're probably not good enough to play, but he's like, 
I'll do whatever I have to do to play. I don't care if um, this guy's bigger, or he's smaller. Like that, that's his makeup. And when he's at his best, we know that's when he's effective. So we're fully expecting that from him tomorrow. From the last game, uh, not to get really specific here, but on that first power play goal, there's a very specific moment where Connor Zary is working to keep the puck in the offensive zone, yeah. and he's fending off a player behind him. I was just curious what you thought of, of that play and the work that Connor did to keep that play alive and, and ultimately lead to a power play goal. Yeah, gr great job on his part protecting the puck for sure. I, the part that we liked more was how quickly we got it to the net after that. So he did a good job of keeping it um, in the zone for sure and protecting it well. But then it was very quick where we were able to beat the penalty kill when they're moving side to side. Um, and that's how you beat penalty kills. It's If you're going to be stagnant and stand around, you're not going to beat them. But when you get a step on them like we did in that situation, the guys executed really well. What growth have you seen in Jonathan Huberdeau's game this season? Um, I find a, a more competitive guy on the puck. Um, I, I feel like his work ethic from the start of the year to where we are now has gotten much better. And because of that, I think you're seeing more composure, confidence with the plays he's making with the puck. What has um, Yegor added to that power play unit? Have you, have you felt like he's added a, a little yep. bit of an extra element? Yeah, and you know, he's a shot threat. Um, and we want them to move around. We want them to have different spots. But when he gets over there, he knows that one of the things we want him to do is shoot the puck. So he's done that. So he tries to put himself in situations and positions where he's ready to shoot. Because um, he is one of our better players in regards to one-timing a puck. So um, that's where we think he's effective there. But the second thing is he can carry a puck into the zone. So he works well with Elias going back. Um, our entries have been better the last three games since he's been a part of that, uh, and hopefully that can continue. Imagine the assertiveness related to sort of Huberto. It does seem with with Yegor from the start of the year to now, you can see him sort of putting more of an imprint on the game. Eh? Uh, Sharon? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, for him, a lot of it is almost similar in a way to Manji, where Manji's got to be hard and in scrums and in battles. Um, Sharon's more about when he's in there. He's got a he's got a win puck because once he gets that puck, he makes good plays. Like and and he's an easy guy to play with because he sees things on the ice. The challenge for him is to consistently get harder and stronger in his puck battles, which we've seen over the last little while. Have you been able to keep tabs on how Matthew Coronado's been doing in the A? And is there any idea when we might see him back up here? Yeah, no idea when we may see him. That's always that changes on a day-to-day -day basis for sure. Um, I haven't seen them play live over the last little bit, but he's he's always around the puck. And when you look at their chances for, he's he's consistent in in being high up in that category. And that's really what we're we're looking for out of him. Can you just talk about the importance of Markstrom this year? Um, overall. From the start of the year on, he he set a bit of a, a tone or a, you know the mood for our team in regards to how he came back over the summer. And I think a lot of people looked to him to see how he would respond. And um, when his teammates came back to see the mentality or the shape that he was in um, and the edginess that he had, I think it rubbed off on a lot of people. So he carried that over with his play in games. We know early in the year the games could have been much worse if it wasn't for his his play early on for us. Um, so he's been excellent. He really has in a lot of different ways. And can you just speak to you know how the organization would handle it if he's lost for any sort of time with this potential injury. Yeah, handle it in regards to. Well, I mean, obviously you're going to see Dustin come up if that's the case, and, mm -hmm. and then would you consider a platoon, or how would you go about assigning your starters? Yeah, same as we always would. I mean, we'll we'll uh, we'll see what happens today, of course, again. But yeah, we we would have a, a rotation set in advance for whatever we have to deal with. 
you guys have always said that's one of your strong your strengths in the organization. Mm -hmm. It's not something you'd worry too much about. No, no, we'll be fine. Like I said, it's just we're looking forward to some good or good news today. Yep. There you go. The head coach of the Calgary Flames, Ryan Huska. He spoke to the media following practice on Monday. Of course, the big news and the majority of that uh, conversation on Jacob Markstrom, his status going forward, still unknown after taking uh, a puck in an awkward spot in his right hand at practice. Uh, as Ryan said, still to be evaluated. We'll hope for good news when it comes to Jacob, but uh, the probability of seeing Dustin Wolf obviously increases if Jacob's not able to go. And uh, good news for the Calgary Flames when you have three NHL-ready goaltenders uh, available. Like Ryan said, you don't really have to worry all that much if someone does go down, but Jacob's been great this season, and fingers crossed it is nothing serious when it comes to the Flames' number one goaltender. Now, Ryan also talked about a couple of different players there, one of them being Andrew Mangiapane. Uh I know a lot of people pointed to Andrew's game on Saturday as one that wasn't his best. He saw just 12-24 of ice time, two shots on goal, minus two on the night. Uh, he had a point against the Dallas Stars, two points against them last week as well, but it's been an up-and-down season for Andrew Mangiapane, who's found himself on that line with Elias Lindholm and Yegor Sharon Govich of late. Five goals, nine assists on the season for Andrew Mangiapane. He spoke following practice on Monday. What's been the key for you guys over the last month? You seem to respond well to after losses. What's allowed you to do that? I think just um, getting back to kind of simplifying our game and uh, kind of why we have success, and that's kind of like being a hardworking team, you know, winning little puck battles, just playing together as five, right, when we do all those little things and we're a hard team to play against, right, but when we get away from it, then that's when we kind of, you know, give up opportunities and odd man rushes and things like that, right, so I think when we really are sound structurally and that's throughout the whole Offensive zone, which is own defensive zone. We're all five together, playing together. We're a hard team to play. Did you feel? Did you feel like you did get away from that a little bit on Saturday? Yeah, and then there were certain times where we were playing, playing to our, our identity, right? But I think yeah, early on in the game, I th think that they were kind of taking it to us, and we kind of took our time to kind of get going, right? And um, you know, uh, that can't happen in this league. You got to be ready to play, right? So I think um, tomorrow we just got to be ready to play and be be hungry and ready to win. We did see you got a little bit less ice time late in the game uh, on Saturday than we're used to seeing from you. Was that just one of those things where you're just sort of like, all right, back to work? Yeah, exactly, right. Um, kind of out, out of my control, obviously. I don't think I was playing my best game uh, last game, so um, that's on me. i got to you know, be able to you know, come to come to play every every game and you know be my best right so uh, got to get back to that uh, next game that's just one of those things I mean I know that the goal is to have it every night but yeah. it does occasionally we all have bad days at work yeah yeah exactly right I think it's just kind of limiting that and I, I know guys were maybe going and uh, I wasn't right so it's just again it happens right it's just now me coming back and playing a good game tomorrow and that's kind of what I'm focusing on feels like the, that line with you and Elias and Yeager has found a good little group. How, how have you felt on that line? Yeah, I feel good. Uh, they're two smart hockey players, right? Obviously, Lindy's a you know, smart two-way guy, and um, Sharky's you know, got a great shot. So I think uh, we kind of complement each other kind of uh, well. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're still kind of building that chemistry and just kind of reading off each other. But in every game that we play, I feel like we're taking another step. Can you just talk about uh, the importance of Markstrom to your season so far? Yeah, Marky's been uh, been great, right? He's kept us in every game that he's playing, and he's you know he's won us a few games, right? So um, that's what you kind of want from your your goalie, right? So uh, we're gonna need 
need more of that kind of coming down the stretch here. He's a big part of our team. Andrew Bonchapani doing the media rounds Monday following practice. Uh, last player we'll hear from Adam Ruzichka. He had, an, he had a point, an assist in Saturday's loss to the Vancouver Canucks, but another player who's seen his ice time dip considerably. His last three games, 654, 757, and 858 against the Vancouver Canucks. All of that below the 10-minute mark, which he was just scratching, uh, getting to the last couple of games as well. In 19 games this season, three goals, seven points for Adam Ruzichka on the season right now. Playing on that fourth line with A.J. Greer and Dylan Dubé. He also spoke following practice Monday, his thoughts ahead of their game against the Minnesota Wild Tuesday. Adam, what's, what's the what's your response been from Saturday, from Saturday night's game um, from the group? It's tough for us, right? We we came back in the end, but uh, it hurts to to not get a point or two. But I think we we reset yesterday, we reset today, and then we're getting our mindset for mini. You've constantly mentioned to us whenever we talk to you that yeah. you need to work at being as consistent of a player as you can be. How has that been for you this year? Well, I, I think I came pretty far in that category of what I mentioned, and uh, I think I've been really good at that. And uh, I just uh, got to focus on it each and every day, as I said before, and uh, I think the things are going to go right, right away. Has the coach having that confidence and just keeping you in? I mean, you've been playing so much. Has that been a big part of that? Well, it's, I am doing my role. I, I, I accepted my role, what I'm doing right now, and uh, I just I just want the team to win and uh, do the best. How do you, how do you find like, your, your role in the power play now? So you've spent a few games on that unit. Just how comfortable are you with, with those guys on that? Well, I, I've played power play my whole life, so I'm pretty comfortable playing there. So it's just the day-to-day thing of preparing and watching the video, what the other team does on the PK, and uh, just being ready for the, for the chance. You're in line with Dylan and AJ. Yeah. It feels like you've got a lot of time on the attack. How have you felt the line's been producing? Yeah, I think we, we found some good chemistry. Uh, obviously pretty good players that I play with, and uh, we just feed off of each other, work hard, and uh, and uh, as you said, we, we spend a lot of time in the O-zone, and uh, it's, we're fortunate to do that. You guys are all sort of different players in a lot of ways. I mean, um, how does that come together? Well, we have grit, we have uh, skill, we have speed. It's all the three guys have something similar, right? So we just feed off each other, as I said, and uh, it's it's been going pretty well. There you go. Adam Rzichka, last member of the Calgary Flames, running media on Monday following practice. Of course, Flames continuing their homestand on Tuesday night against the Minnesota Wild. Six o'clock, Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg. Seven o'clock, Derek Wills and Corey Sarich on the call right here on Sportsnet 960. The fans still with games to come Thursday and Saturday to wrap up this six-game homestand. You'll see the Hurricanes and the Devils. Reminder on Saturday, early start, 2 p.m., a little afternoon matinee affair between the Flames and the Devils. Again, still waiting to see what happens with Jacob Markstrom and uh, his status going forward for the team uh, after taking that puck off the wrist on the right hand. Not exactly sure where he took it this uh, at practice today, but his uh, status still up in the air as far as tomorrow goes. Uh, on the season, Jacob with a 6-8 and eight record, uh, two OT losses, 294 goals against, and an 896 save percentage. Uh, a couple of your texts at 960-960 with a fan feedback line is always open to you. Uh, our pal Matt and Cochran, uh, going back to the Zadorov trade, uh, said something I hadn't thought of with the Zadorov trade 
I started thinking about after the Canucks game was if Conroy might have tipped his hand in how he feels this season is going. I don't think it's a huge problem to trade within the division, but helping a team you're chasing get better, unless you don't think you're realistically in that chase for the playoffs. I mean, yes and no, Matt. I mean, I guess you can look at it from that perspective, but I think if you're the Flames and you're looking at chasing teams, I mean, I don't know that you necessarily look at the Vancouver Canucks as much as you just look at either a spot in the Pacific or a spot in the wild card, regardless of of who the team is. And if Vancouver had the the best offer, the most realistic offer that didn't involve retaining cash, again, I, I don't know that it, it bothers me all that much. Um, this one says, I uh, would love to see Greer replace Manjapani on the Lindholm line. Uh, interesting idea. I don't know that we'll see that. I mean... I think that top line's being asked to provide offense. I don't think Manch has been great. He spoke about it there Saturday. wasn't one of his best performances, so he needs to pick it up. I think the numbers haven't reflected the type of salary that he's making with this team right now, and I think he's well aware of that. Um, I don't know that A.J. Greer... I like A.J. Greer's just good at what he is because he's a fourth line. I don't know that if you put him in a spot like that, he's as likely to succeed. That's that's just my opinion, though. Um, this just says, please don't say Markstrom has been great this year. Doesn't have a 900 save percentage last time I checked. You can't call that great. Different wording, perhaps. I, I think he's been good for the Calgary Flames. The numbers, Vesna caliber, best in the league, as that texture points out. No, but I think he's been... Uh, pretty solid for the Flames most nights uh, when he's been asked. And like I said, we'll wait and see what his status is going forward. Didn't really have much of an update when it came to hearing from the coach following practice on Monday. Uh, I'll take our first break of the program. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention to the NFL. Monday's meeting to check in with our pal Emily Sadler from Sportsnet.ca. Some interesting results from the Sunday slate of NFL games. Perhaps a new name in the MVP race. And looking ahead to the Bengals and the Jaguars on Monday Night Football, we'll do that when we come back. It's Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The Monday Nighter for Week 13 of the NFL season, the Cincinnati Bengals minus Joe Burrow in Jacksonville set to take on the Jaguars. 6-15 kickoff. Jaguars currently favored by 10 points heading into this one. We'll chat about the Bengals and the Jaguars, plus take a look around another Sunday of NFL football with our next guest. She joins us every Monday from Sportsnet.ca. It's our pal Emily Sadler down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Happy Monday, Emily. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. We've got a ton to talk about. It was a busy week. Lots of fun topics to get to uh, from Sunday. And uh, let's start with, I think, probably the most surprising outcome of uh, the games on Sunday. The 49ers walk into Philly and dominate the Eagles. 42-19 is the final. We have some controversy with a security official getting in the face of a 49ers player who got back in his face. And on top of it, uh, the 49ers sure look like they sent a statement to the Eagles that the NFC's not quite Philadelphia's to run away with just yet. Yeah, you and I have talked a lot about these like statement games, right, for various teams. We're pretty much always waiting for the Bills statement game. We talked about Philly's statement game, but like 
wow, this really was making a statement and sending a real message to not just the rest of the NFC, but just the league in general um, of what this team is all about. We all saw the hot start they got off to um, this season and then the little stumble there with three straight losses. But it's safe to say the 49ers, like they are who we thought they were. They are maybe better than we thought they were. Um, It's just really clear, like no team has – as many weapons and as much depth through its lineup as San Francisco and to see it all, you know, not only healthy, but playing at its best and, and playing against the best. It was, it was great to see just like what this team is capable of. Um, You know, they really just, they kind of targeted Philly's weakness and we know there aren't very many of those. Um, You know, they targeted that secondary and just exploited it all game. And they also, really shut down the Eagles run game, which we know is one of their biggest strengths. And so they, on the one hand, it's like, well, they provided the template to shut down the Eagles, but also, wow, can any other team do it as effectively as they just did? So that was, yes, that was quite the statement. Has Brock Purdy in your mind gone from like a fun story of a a guy that was the last overall pick and had some success with good players around him in San Francisco to a legit starting option and a guy that we should be giving more credit to on a day-to-day basis with the 49ers? Yeah, I think absolutely. Like he's been this really interesting case of like, we don't know how to talk about him. Like we don't know how to kind of classify him among his peers. Um, but I think definitely, and I, it, he is one of those players that, yeah, you play maybe the what if game of like, well, what if he was, just on like name any other team right Mm -hmm. but because he's with Kyle Shanahan he maybe doesn't get um the the credit for being like as dynamic as he can be because we know that I mean it's Kyle Shanahan he's the mastermind behind this but I mean he's also look he's doing he's he's doing what is needed um he's not losing them games he's he's playing really well he's playing with that poise we saw he we saw what happens when he doesn't play with that poise, but the fact that he's gotten it back, I think I think when when you have someone like, you know, Mr. Irrelevant essentially, <laughs> it's really hard to know like, okay, is this just a fun story? Um, like you just said, is this someone that is actually to be taken seriously? Like, do we talk about him in the MVP race? I think also when you're surrounded by so many weapons too, it has that dual effect of it obviously elevates your game, but it also potentially takes some of the credit away from you because it's like, well, yeah, look who's around him, right? So definitely um, kind of kind of a mix of both, but I'm on Team Brock. I'm on Team Purdy. I think he's doing great things, and I want to kind of give him his flowers. Yeah, I mean, even last night, I mean, to go back to it, I mean, he clearly outplayed Jalen Hurts in Philly, and I don't think most people would have guessed that on a night-to-night basis, and I always just I'm with you because the Kyle Shannon one's the one that we always talk about and always oh, in this great system. I mean, you still have to be able to execute that. And I mean, yes, is it nice to have Debo Samuel and all these sort of things? But I mean, look at New York. Just because you have the weapons doesn't mean you can get it to them effectively. So I, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of cheering for Brock. Yeah, he. I mean, like he's this. He's the ultimate underdog story, right? It's just funny when you put him on this team that is so not the underdog story. So, yeah, we kind of don't know what to make of it when you have all these weapons that are like Christian McCaffrey. Like, he's not just a running back. He's, he does everything. Debo Samuel, he also is like, ask him everything. to do anything, <laughs> yeah. and, and he'll do it. George Kittle, like, 
he's having a resurgence. So it is it is that sort of funny dynamic there with Brock Purdy. But yeah, I mean, plug someone else into that position and you don't know what you're going to get, right? So yeah. we kind of can play the what-if game all day, I think. Uh, another upset uh, yesterday, Cardinals walk into Pittsburgh, take down the Steelers, revenge game for James Conner, Arizona now 3-10 and on the season. Kyler Murray, of course, back and having fun with his tight end and Trey McBride. Uh, sure seemed like any of the progress Pittsburgh made offensively a week ago when they beat Cincinnati kind of disappeared. They lose Kenny Pickett to an ankle injury. Uh, their only touchdown came in garbage time, and now they're handing the keys to Mitch Trubisky to take over, and they're in a tough spot. I know they're still 7-5, and five, but that spot in the AFC playoff race certainly becomes a little bit more interesting for Pittsburgh now that they have to go to Trubisky and they don't maybe – have the footing that we talked about them having a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we we know we know that the Cardinals are that risky team. Like they they'll get some upsets, right? Oh it's, yeah. It's it's so funny how like you know you still despite that you still look at that and you're like no you've you've got to win that game. Um, the Steelers had a real opportunity, not just in the AFC North, but as you said, like the the AFC wild card picture altogether. You know the Ravens are on by. Browns lost to LA like they really could have done a lot to kind of keep pace um, in that division they could have made kind of another statement but I can't help but sort of look back now of course hindsight's 2020 look back at last week's game we're all raving about this 400 plus yard game they haven't done it in more than 50 games but there was another really important number there and that was 16 which was the number of points they got (laughs) from those 400 plus yards like right this offense is still stalling um, you know, they changed schemes, obviously, you know, game two now without Matt Canada there. And um, it sort of feels like, a okay, you can kind of still only do so much with, um, with the weapons that you have here. And I think that obviously the biggest takeaway for me there was just that, you know, you're not really going to get a great offensive performance from Pittsburgh. I think we know that by now with this group, but the defense, it just, um, it was playing on par with his offense, which is a dangerous game for them to play. Um, so definitely a missed opportunity for them. And it's really hard to say like, okay, what, what comes next for this team? I mean, maybe it's, you know, you look, they, they have only four days to prepare for their next game. They've, we've got the Thursday nighter, but it's also against the Patriots. So yeah. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's a little gift, <laughs> which by the way, I think really the only real winner here from this game was the Patriots, right? Because Arizona won the game. <laughs> yeah. The Patriots are now in that number two uh, overall draft slot. So Patriots really coming up big here on this one, I think. Yeah, you don't say that very often when you score zero points no. on the week. But, uh, yeah, everything's turning <laughs> up Bill Belichick, apparently. Just don't ask him about it because he really doesn't, really doesn't like that, apparently. just No, he a, does not. Not a big media guy <laughs> when things aren't going well. Um Look, uh, it's never good when we have to bring Twitter into the conversation, but uh, that's what you got to do when you're talking about the Saints. Michael Thomas uh, wasn't playing. He was watching his team and was throwing some shade at Derek Carr uh, during that loss for New Orleans against the Detroit Lions. Now, Carr left the game with a concussion. He also was dealing with an elbow injury, a bit of a shoulder thing. But the Saints have lost three in a row now. They're falling out of it in the NFC South. I mean, they're still technically alive because the NFC South is somehow Everybody very <laughs> yeah, very awful, but 
not good. I mean, Derek Carr was supposed to kind of be the guy in New Orleans. It hasn't worked out well, and now he might be dealing with an injury. What do you make of this whole New Orleans Saints situation? Because like I said, they're 5-7, and seven, but they're still chasing a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. I honestly... Logan, I don't know what to make of the Saints. Like, I didn't overly know what to make of what this whole fit would look like preseason, but was definitely intrigued, right? And and to be honest, like, kind of just happy for Derek Carr to maybe get a fresh start. Things ended so messily with the Raiders. But at the same time, like, I look at this whole situation and think you you sort of, like, do the, the dangerous scheme of, like, looking back and be like, well, look at all the dominoes that fell. I'm like, what if maybe over in Vegas, um, they didn't actually just totally burn that bridge with Derek Carr. And I bet they would maybe like to have Derek Carr because the Saints fans sure don't want him. They're booing him. It's just, it's such a mess. Um, And, you know, when he's dealing with as many injuries as he is as well, like it's, it's just a mess kind of on all fronts. And it's, if you look at sort of the teams, you know, that have a messy situation at quarterback, I kind of almost feel like, I mean, the Saints are almost in, like, the least appealing position because they're just in that murky middle. Like, they're not full tanking. Yeah. (laughs) They're also not really a playoff team right now. I mean, yeah, as we said, every NFC South team is technically a playoff team. I saw a graphic that uh, was praising the Lions about, like, clean sweep in the NFC South, but that's not the flex they think it is. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. This is not a great division, so the Saints are, by default, still in it, but really going nowhere good. I think Jameis Winston is going to, am I correct in that? He's going to get the start? Yep, sounds like it. For the next week, so, I mean, that's must-watch television, but not really in maybe a good way. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's definitely not in a good way, that's for sure. I like Jameis, but uh, I don't know if it's for, it's like a car accident, right? Like, you want to see it, but it's not necessarily good, right? Yes. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, like, yeah, you're you're in it, but I mean, I don't know. If you're an NFC team, you're kind of hoping to get the NFC South matchup because I don't know. Do you do you trust anybody there? Mayfield's been okay with the Bucks. I still have no idea what the Falcons are or what exactly they're doing, and somehow they're six and six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yet you look at like, or I I look at Tampa Bay, I look at the Falcons, and I'm like, I would I would be much happier rooting for them than I would the Saints only because of like this great unknown with the Saints. Like I just kind of want, you need a fresh start there. Like they, I, you referenced Twitter off the hop and I saw a TikTok that was like getting Derek Carr was the worst thing to happen to the Saints, (laughs) which I think is a bit absurd, but also like, I uh, like, yeah, because he sort of puts them in that middle zone, right? Like he's obviously hasn't endeared himself to the fans there by winning, um, these fans are obviously really just set up with this kind of murky middle situation. It sort of feels like you just need a clean sweep across the board in New, in New Orleans and just kind of a fresh start there because I'm not sure what the answer is. Yeah, I wonder if they wouldn't have been better off once Drew Brees left, just kind of hitting mm-hmm. the reset button. And, and But you're right, they didn't really go that way, and they've kind of brought in these guys that are – you're right, you're, they're never going to be bad enough to bottom out for a, a top quarterback, but they're also – you know, still in this, you're right, the murky middle is the perfect way to put it, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they still had so many of those core pieces, right, when Breeze yep. left. And so, I, you know, you look back and, like, I don't blame them for going that route. But, 
yeah, they they really um, they just haven't obviously they just haven't gotten their guy. They haven't gotten their number one guy, and and I don't know if you can like really turn things around if you're if you're Derek Carr in New Orleans right now, and that's too bad. Uh, it's our regular Monday chat on Sportsnet today with Emily Sadler from Sportsnet.ca, going through all the biggest topics from another NFL Sunday. Uh, it seems like we have a new name to talk about in the MVP race. We've done a lot of it the last couple of weeks, talking about. C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans, but hard to ignore what Tyreek Hill's doing with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, 12 games in, 1,481 yards receiving. He's got 12 touchdowns. Now, of course, the last non-quarterback to win MVP, you'd have to go back to 2012 when Adrian Peterson won it, and a wide receiver has never won the award, of course, Emily. But do you think Tyreek Hill has a legit conversation or a legit chance at coming through with an MVP this year? I think he needs to be in that conversation. Absolutely, yes. You, As you said, you cannot ignore what he's doing. Um, he's making history, right? He's already made history. He hit 1,000-plus yards um, faster than anyone earlier this season, and now he's on pace to become the first 2,000-yard wide receiver. What he's doing is it's incredible. Like There's really no one like him, and I think especially – in a season like this where you look at the quarterback position and yes, there's so much, there's so much quarterback talent right now. Um, we really are spoiled, but at the same time, like there's not really that one standout quarterback performance. Mm-hmm. Like there have been right. You know, Lamar Jackson has led that conversation. Jalen Hurts has led that conversation. Mahomes is always in the conversation. Um, but when you, I, I do feel like it's sort of this like perfect mix um, the perfect situation for Hill to really emerge as the front runner for it, just because it's going to, by default, go to a quarterback who is is doing standout things. But if you don't quite have that, like you just can't ignore what Hill is doing here, and especially if he reaches 2,000 yards. Which, um, yeah, I was I was looking at a, at their next opponent, and it should be really interesting. Um, they've got the Titans totally doable, rack up the yards. But then they've got the Jets, Cowboys, Ravens, Bills. Like, those are some good defenses. Yeah. Um, four of the games are at home, so obviously that works in their favor. But I think especially, like, if Hill can get to 2,000 yards against some of those uh, solid defenses, he has to be leading that conversation. Um, and you also, I think, like, don't you kind of have to take in just the, yeah, the history of it and also watchability, right? Like, <laughs> He, he truly is the most valuable receiver, absolutely. Um, you could make the argument always for Tua as well when you have his top wide receiver doing so well. But yep. um, I, I vote, uh, yeah, let's kind of spread out the MVP a little bit. Yeah, I'd like Get to a wide see receiver in there. Yeah, I'd like to see it because, I mean, look, I think 2012 was, was interesting to look at because – Obviously, Adrian Peterson hit the 2,000-yard mark. That was great. But, I mean, that same year, Calvin Johnson had 1,964 receiving yards, but he had, like, next to no touchdowns, which was really strange. He wasn't in the end of, like, 10 receiving touchdowns that year. Drew Brees throws for 5,177 yards. So, yeah, it's a little bit harder on years like that. But I sure wonder, uh, you're right, if we can't get a wide receiver. I know there's an extra game now to be played this year and for some people that'll skew some of the results but I mean he's doing it every single game for the Miami Dolphins and 
what a trade that's turned out to be for them, giving Tyreek that kind of, you know, offense to work in and giving Tua that kind of weapon, Emily. Totally. And, like, I think the biggest thing about it, and especially uh, yesterday's game, like, really amplified this, is, you know, the most impressive thing is, like, you know that Tua is looking for him. Like, you know that the ball is coming his way, and yet so many teams cannot do anything about it. Like, he's still finding ways to get the ball. He's still finding ways to make these incredible explosive plays you know he's it's not even like he's one of those sort of standby guys who's just kind of like racking up the yards with small plays um he's doing it all he's he's truly one of the most valuable players on the football team on the football field um this season and so he yeah he's got to be in the conversation um and i'm i'm excited to see kind of how this plays out i'd love to see him get uh, I know earlier this season he was he was very much on pace to get the 2,000 yards um, in the 16 games. Obviously he'd he'd need to put on a real show um, <laughs> if he can do that now. But yeah, it'd be it would be awesome just to witness that, right? Like football at its core, like it's just fun to watch, and he is such a blast to watch. 100. percent And uh, Emily, as we always do, uh, finishing off these chats, looking ahead to the Monday nighter. It's the Bengals and the Jaguars. Of course, it would be a lot more fun. Uh, if Joe Burrow was healthy and ready to go. Mm-hmm. But uh, where's your excitement level at when we're talking about tonight's matchup? Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching, just watching to see what the Jaguars offense can do. Um, they've been, once again, like just like last year, they've really had a hot streak. Um, last season, I think you could say that was the, was Trevor Lawrence's best win of the season. Um, I think like this is one of those like a, a win against the Bengals defense isn't necessarily going to tell us a lot about them. A loss would tell them would tell us that oh they're not quite where we think they are. But I mean they can jump into that like they are in that top tier of course of the AFC standings. But you know a win brings them up to nine wins and then they're locked right up there with Miami and Buffalo or Miami and Baltimore. Um, in the AFC and so I'm just I'm really looking forward to seeing if they can kind of continue that hot streak Um, the matchup tells us that they should be able to the Bengals defense has not been great um, against opposing offenses so it'll be interesting and I mean as we know the AFC South is suddenly one of the hottest races um, in the NFL and so it'll they they really actually can't afford to lose this one Um, there's not a lot of room for error for them so it'll be fun to see if they can kind of keep that that up. Yeah, Jacksonville's one of those weird teams that you know, I don't really think I look at them and go, oh, they have the same amount of wins as the Chiefs or anything like that. It doesn't feel the same way, maybe because they haven't been there before. But you're right, all of a sudden, uh, there are two teams at seven wins right behind them in their division. And Jacksonville hasn't lost on the road. They're at home today where they've been pretty meh this season. They're 3-3, three and three and their numbers aren't nearly as good at home as they are on the road for some reason. But... Yeah, it's kind of a a good test to see if Jacksonville really is worthy of of that title that you're right of that they have right now, which is technically one of the top teams in the entire conference. Yeah, like let's kind of see how you can play when you're not sort of fulfilling that underdog role, right? Because I think, you know, last in a season like last year, it felt a little bit more like playing with house money. Like you've got nothing to lose. They go on this hot streak. They weren't in playoff position and then they jump right in. And so this year, you know, they are very much in control of this division and they could be in control of the whole conference if they can get a win here and then string a couple more down the stretch. So this really kind of is the time that we're going to see if Trevor Lawrence is is kind of ready to, to make that big step forward. 
Yeah, I feel bad for the Bengals, but you're right. I feel feeling yeah. this is uh, going to tell us a lot about Jacksonville more than it will anything about Cincinnati. Emily, always appreciate the time. Great stuff as always. Hey, uh, looking forward to chatting with you next week. Have a great week. Always a pleasure. You too. Thanks. Emily Sadler joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. She's our Monday regular here on Sportsnet today talking all things NFL. You can find her work up at sportsnet.ca. We will take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll kick off hour two, taking a look at our friends, the Calgary Roughnecks. Their regular season kicked off this weekend. Unfortunately, a loss to Rochester, but Still a lot of positive buzz around this team. We'll check in with new head coach Josh Sanderson next as the regular season's underway for the Calgary Roughnecks. That, as Sportsnet Today continues next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.